A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, y'all. Thanks for checking out the Chase Homes podcast. If you are not already a subscriber and this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys checking out uh, what we've got cooking here on the program. Um, If you enjoy what you hear today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. New episode, new content every single day. Tennessee Vols, Atlanta sports guys, sports reporters assemble, NFL, NBA, college football, all that and more right here on this feed each and every day. Your favorite writers, analysts, personalities in the space on this very feed every day. So if you like that, you like the best national sports talk with a local flavor outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee, then this is the show for you. So make sure you're locked in on your preferred podcast player. And if you're already a subscriber, you know what I'm about to say. But if you could, please leave this show a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you're listening. I promise you it helps this show continue to grow, helps other people find the show, and all that good stuff. So if you could take a second today and you're already a fan, you love the show, tell a friend, family member, coworker, whoever about the Chase Homes podcast as we get bigger and bigger each and every day here in Tennessee. I would greatly appreciate it. Five-star review or five-star rating. Write a review. I promise it helps in a major way. Takes a second. Hit that pause button. Take care of it today. And uh, yeah, would greatly appreciate it. Hey, one final thing before we jump into today's episode. Uh, Sports Renaissance Man. That's me. SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. It is a daily newsletter um, where I cover all kinds of uh, great sports content, personal essays, uh, links to full episodes of this very show, um, Tennessee Vols, Atlanta sports, NFL, NBA, college football. I write about it all. Boy Meets World. Yeah, you can find all of it on the Sports Renaissance Man newsletter by just going over to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Dot com. Type in your email today. Become a subscriber. If you like listening to the show, I think you might like reading my work as well. Combination, writing, podcasting, 
two of my favorite things, and you can find it over at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Check it out today. Also, check out chasingthepodcast.com. New website. Looks great. All kinds of great links. Check them both out. Bookmark them. Sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email. That easy. That simple. Do it today. And then chasingthepodcast.com as well for all the links, full episode notes um, about the show, how we got started, who I am, if you're not familiar with the Chase Thomas podcast, and just me, Chase Thomas, um, outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee, local, Atlantan, um, and all that good stuff. All the information you need, chasethomaspodcast.com. Then email me, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com for any questions, mailbag stuff, anything for me or my hosts each and every week, co-hosts each and every week, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another edition of Go Big Orange Friday here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ, where I have power. Ryan has power. Jack has power. Thankfully, because uh, it was crazy this week. Some crazy wins. So. Uh, thoughts with the good folks here in East Tennessee that went through some craziness. I know people that just got power back today. Um, just absolutely crazy um, what went through uh, East Tennessee and a little bit back in the home state. But uh, to talk all things Tennessee volunteers on this very program, Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider is back. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing better than my power is back. It was down for about 24 hours. There's one road into mm. the apartment I live in, tree collapsed, so I was trapped in the apartment for rick had to come rick butler shout out rti had to come pick me up and take me to practice the next morning so not nearly as bad as people that just got power but yeah uh, the storm had some uh did some damage over in my my neck of the woods what about you jack uh how are you of always college well the omaha productions hat repping the merch here right how are you sir uh doing well got a not too much longer till I'm back on campus for my final semester. So excitement starting to build a little bit and um, just, you know, summer's almost over. It's sad that that's happening, but hey, football seasons were, see when this is airing, we're 15 days away from week zero. I'm all about that. Yeah. And then how many dates until Tennessee? September 2nd. I've thought it was the third this whole time. Yeah. And then someone was like, it'll be 22. Okay. Yeah. 22. Seven, Who's the best seven, 22 uh, Tennessee number 22 of all time? Yves Schuler. Hmm. I think that's a no-brainer. There you go. I can't think of a better one. I don't think uh, Navy Shuler is the best 21 of all time. <laughs> was he 21? He's probably 21, actually. If Navy Shuler were 21, he Shuler's probably 21. I just got the number wrong. Uh, well, Navy is 21. I know. It Navy would be kind of weird if Navy were 21 and his dad was 22. So I'm, well, now I'm we going with Hugh Shuler's 21. 21. And hand up. Hand up, listeners. Ryan, what this Oh, he was 20. He that's was... He was 21 at UT. Okay, can we all just agree it's Jack Jancic? Ooh. Jack Jancic, beast. Preseason hero. Jack Jancic, I'm telling you, man, he could be a good player at Group 5. I 1,000% believe that. Dude, he was lethal in the spring game a couple times. Yeah, every time we ever actually watch him, and we ever watch competition from Tennessee in a practice or scrimmage, scrimmage almost typically always the the spring game, he's he's always making plays. Wow. The one I can't quit and that like my family never gave up on was like Brian Maurer. They were all like, Brian Maurer's good. 
Like, Brian Myers should just play. Brian Myers got that dog in him. Like, he's just out here. You never know what he's going to do, but the guy's a gamer. Brian Maurer was just like the the Tennessee folk hero during the Jared Garantano era, where it's like, there's nothing you can tell me that would suggest that Brian Maurer is not better than Jared Garantano. Chase, you probably don't remember this. My very first time on the podcast. Uh, I think this is why I'm still here three years later, (laughs) as we both bonded over Brian Maurer. We both thought Brian Maurer was the most talented quarterback in Tennessee's quarterback room going into 2020, which I don't even necessarily think we're wrong about that. He wasn't <laughs> yeah. the best. But from a talent standpoint, he was, you know, he had some physical traits. What did he do at SFA Has last been, year? Will this be three years here? Uh, he was the backup at SFA, so, hmm. you know. He also threw an interception in inter mural game at Tennessee, so. I remember that. You win some and you lose some. Look cool looking athlete, like the full like arm yeah. and leg sleeve and the every like he just he looked pretty cool and he was just I fun. Throw out of some different arm slots and, yeah. again. Granted, the quarterbacks he was competing with, Jared Garantano. We don't need to rehash. Everyone knows Jared Garantano. Harrison Bailey um, was the backup quarterback at UNLV last year. Did he and walk on at now Louisville? Now was a walk on at Louisville, and then JT Shroud who started half the games for the worst team in power five last year and i he transferred i can't remember where he ended up at so didn't he go pretty... to butch is he at arkansas state that's right arkansas pretty State. Sure. yeah okay i mean we knew it was bad but you know looking back it was shocking how bad the jeremy pruitt quarterback room was a little different than what it is right now and where it's gonna <laughs> yeah be. i would say I so said, like we're not an where it's like we might just alternate Georgia number one overall players, uh, quarterbacks. Like George McIntyre might be in the twenty twenty five Tennessee boat, and then you had obviously Raiola this uh, cycle to Georgia, and the one before Nico to Tennessee. Like that would be kind of funny if we just start alternating number one overall uh, QB uh, talents. Um, I'd be fine with that. Uh, that'd be good. Yeah. I'm okay. Man, that would be good. A different era. A different era, indeed. Um, speaking of Vols football, though here on this very show um position preview we are we're going to get into that on this show we're going to talk about the first scrimmage fallout from this morning um a no pressure joe from uh bill Connolly uh this week and joe milton being the most important player in the college football playoff race which should uh keep things normal here on rocky top um the absence of Cooper Mays and what that might mean. Um, but it may be a little like uh, balls basketball too, but let's start off with uh, the first scrimmage in this week two of practice. Uh, Ryan, when you look at where things stand right now, what's come out about uh, the scrimmage, Gerald Mincy uh, looks like he got some reps to the right side. Ollie Lane having to play center right now. Um, just kind of the offensive line in a state of flux a little bit, but the defense like Joshua Josephs looks jacked. Like that was cool seeing him get off the bus. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's a pleasant surprise. What do you, where are you at, uh, across the board here with, um, with Tennessee after the scrimmage and, uh, what's come out about it? Well, I think it starts with the offense, the lines of scrimmage and it's the million dollar debate, uh, always in all football when you're scrimmage against yourself. Defensive line looks good. Offensive line looks bad. Is that because the defensive line is good or the offensive line is bad? I mean, I think it's the – I can't remember what old Notre Dame coach said it, but it was something to the extent of, you know, how would you look at the scrimmage? Well, if our ones get to play our twos all season, we're going to be pretty good. It's just hard to tell. So, uh, I think certainly it sounded like defensive line won the day, especially early in the day. And the defense uh, was ahead of the offense, which you kind of expect uh, in your first scrimmage of camp on a day that was – uh, a little bit rainy, a little bit, at least the turf was wet, and it sounded like 
Obviously, Cooper Mays wasn't out there. It sounded like some receivers uh, were a little bit limited in what they did. So uh, I think it the big question with this team right now, it's, we knew going into camp, but I think it's further developed in the first uh, week of camp, it is just the offensive line where it's at. Cooper Mays' injury throws that into a greater uh, state of flux, which we already knew it would be. Um, and then obviously the defensive line looking good. And there's reason to believe a lot of could take a jump in that room. And he's had a lot of really solid, good defensive linemen that are back. None of those guys have been great. None of those guys have been all SEC players. Can any of those guys take a next step forward? And I think you're seeing some guys play really well early on, like that scrimmage. Uh, but again, kind of hard to tell as they face a already kind of limited or questionable offensive line that's uh, all, that's equally banged up. It is weird. And I just, it's going to be fascinating, Jack, when you look at this history with Glenn Ellaby, right? Where he gets the most out of less talented guys. He's never really had a bad offensive line wherever he's gone with Josh Heupel. So on that side of things, it's really hard to panic, panic. But with this mm-hmm. many parts, and I think they talked about it like being 10 deep, like they feel pretty good at like being able to interchange a lot of different dudes. But like Jackson Lampley in there at left guard, and you're like, okay, sure. Why is Andre Carriage not there? What's uh, happening? Addison Nichols, not really a factor here. Um, it seems like uh, with the second team anywhere, I, it's funny. Like you can say, I'm not really worried about it. Like they're going to get the most out of it. And the tempo is just going to help things a lot. It's just them moving and moving. If the ball's moving, then you worry about the offensive line less. I, I think it's just really hard for me to like get in that mindset. I think we have to see it because we've kind of been conditioned these first two years that it's just been steady Eddie uh, to this point. But I think this might be the most in flux we've ever seen the offensive line. And because it's just, if this offense did not have the, the history that it did, I think if you looked at this offensive line and it was like Kentucky's offense or Mark Stoops coach team, you'd be like, Oof, this is, mm. this is kind of rough. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, you know, just talking about your most in flux, I think that's 100% fair um, that this would be the season to worry of all season so far in the Hypo era for sure. As we've known and documented all throughout the offseason, the tackle spot is probably the biggest liability that we thought. And then now throwing the Cooper Mays injury and the uncertainty at the left guard position, it's it does make you feel a little uneasy. I, I think I've said a couple of times on this podcast already, Tennessee's offensive line isn't going to regress completely, then Spraggins and Mays have to be really good. Well, if Mays isn't there and they're not getting these reps in the preseason, it's it's going to be difficult for that to come to fruition and for them to not take a big step back. It makes, you know, the lack of star power, if you will, at the tackle position makes Mays and Spraggins' jobs that much more important. And this is not what you want to see at this point in fall camp with Cooper Mays having this injury. Yeah. And I, it's, we said, um, I think actually like a week ago, like you can make the case that like Cooper Mays is one of the most important players on this Vols offense. And you're like, well, Ollie got a lot of run at center t- two years ago, right? Am I misremembering that? Or was it three? Yeah, he went and, no, he went and played. He's got no in-game run at center. He went and got a run run at left guard when Jerome Carvin moved over to center. Yeah, okay, so Carvin moved over to center. Okay. Yes. And that was in the Georgia game, right? Yeah. Uh, Cooper may have missed five games that season, and he got injured in the midst of a number of others, too, that he couldn't finish. So, Mm. uh yeah, a lot of the games, uh, Ollie Lane got experience. And, and Carvin was such a good safety blanket for Tennessee's offense. And, yeah, I wrote – we brought probably what we talked about. I wrote an article on five most important players on Tennessee's offense. And 
Car- Gilbert Mays is number five on there just because he's had that injury past, and uh, all of a sudden it's shown up again early on. And I think in some ways, you know, there is a positive in that if Cooper Mays is injury prone and it's likely to get missed sometime, even if it's not a full game, you know, in the midst of a game, it's good for Tennessee to really have to be kind of be thrown in the fire uh, with their backup center situation at the get-go before the season even starts. Uh, but to Jack's point, it's certainly when you're already talking about an offensive line with a lot of moving pieces and you're trying to get some continuity, uh, it's pretty tough when you're, you're starting center and kind of you're, Rock, one of your leaders of that room, is essentially going to miss the the vast majority of fall practice. Yeah, but again, we'll have to see. And I think a lot of it comes down to that. What makes it more nervous? I think if Hendon Hooker was back, I don't think I would be as concerned yeah. about the situation. I think yeah, because it, yeah, Joe's lack of mobility exacerbates the issue. That's hundred percent. It's more important to have a good offensive line now. Yeah, and then you're going to have a worse offensive line, so it compounds the problem. I don't think it's going to be necessarily disaster. Um. I mean, if Cooper Mays were like, if it was a season ending injury, then yeah, but it's not. So Joe Milton is just going to have to do a little more, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing when you talk about the level of concern, I think it's going to be fine against the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas, the Missouris of the world. It's when Tennessee plays Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, teams that have elite defensive fronts that you worry that they can hold up. It's what happened to them two years ago. The offensive line was pretty good. They couldn't run the ball against Alabama. They couldn't run the ball against Florida. They couldn't run the ball against Georgia. Uh, and against everybody else, the tempo, uh, it, it kind of carried the day and was enough for Tennessee to get by and be really effective. But you saw what they wanted to do, obviously, was really handicapped in those three games. I kind of had the same worries about those three games I just mentioned. Yeah, um, but we'll see. Well, a lot of time still to be had. I shouldn't. I guess maybe not a lot of time, but it's just a lot of mispractice. And we'll see if that ends up mattering. Uh, those reps uh, over and over again over the next week or two for Cooper and Joe to uh, have to work with Ollie here. And then if Ollie's getting all this work at center, okay, well that's kind of a problem because you needed him to get a lot of work at left because you kind of want mm-hmm. that continuity. You want to build some kind of five man unit that you can count on for the majority of the year. But if Cooper's gone, like all he has to ship over because you don't have the depth at center to just have Addison Nichols, it seemed like, step in there, which is what you want so that all he can spend literally all fall camp just at left guard. I think that's the problem. I'm curious. Yeah, that's I agree, Chase. I'm curious as to what happened with the Addison Nichols backup center experiment. They moved him to center when he came to campus. Yeah. And then now all he's having to play center and Addison Nichols was four star, highly touted recruit. And he he can't fill in the gaps here as a sophomore. It's kind of or I guess redshirt freshman. It's kind of concerning. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the ideal thought, and I, I wonder if it concerns the snapping thing. I mean, watching mm. him last year, that was very he was very bad at it, and we heard Glenn Ellerby talk this week. They couldn't hardly get, you know, they were struggling with the snap in the, one of the days that Cooper was out. So I wonder if part of it, uh, but to me, it, even that, it's twofold. Like, he's the third guy you've heard at left guard, too, behind Carriage and behind Lampley. Uh, mm. You. So it's it just doesn't feel like he's much of a factor at all. And for a guy that I thought would have a great chance to be the backup center and even be in the competition to be the starting left guard, uh, it's certainly disappointing. But at the same time, you know, it's an offensive lineman in the SEC. It's his second year. I don't think you hit the panic button necessarily, yeah. but uh, certainly not, you know, kind of what the expectation or the hope was, I think, entering fall practice. I mean... The thing, too, which is so funny and why this sport is so weird, but, like, who would have had on this podcast this uh, this starting five-man unit for the offensive line for Tennessee against Virginia might be John Campbell, 
Jackson Lampley, Ollie Lane, Spraggs, and JJ Crawford. Crawford. Yeah. Like, if it's any other offense in the SEC, someone looks at that and goes, oof. But because it's Josh Eipel and it's because of this temple and because of this history and because he gets the benefit of the doubt here, which he should, we're like, nope, they should manage. It'll be all right. Like, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I wonder if this is a year kind of like that year where Ollie had to move around, Carvin had to be at center. Like, I wonder if we're in for that kind of offensive line year where people are in and out. All we really had last year was Minty and Crawford alternating, but everything else was settled. Like Cooper, Carvin, Spraggs, and uh, Darnell were just locked in. I think it's one of those things fans might have taken for granted because this year I think you're going to see the way things are headed right now. I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching, and I don't think it's going to be a clean year where we just have the five best offensive linemen playing together for a, a long-term stretch. Is my guess. It's my gut right now. I mean, a lot of years are like that because you have so many injuries on the offensive line. Yeah. And even and last year could have easily been like that. I mean, the, the Tennessee went through the whole season splitting reps of left tackle. Like, that's super. Yeah. Hard. And they did that not because of injury, because that's what they thought was their best option. So I kind of think as a whole, this staff doesn't value is the right word. Uh, but for the lack of a better word, I don't think they value the continuity maybe at the same level at least previous staffs at Tennessee have and most staffs around the country. So you hear them talk about being 10 deep. You're not wrong that it's, you know, you could look at who the starters could be against Virginia and kind of be like, Ooh, this, this isn't great. But I think there's some sort of comfort that they have in the chaos that they can mismatch it and find the right guys because it's kind of what they've done in the past. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, Changing gears a little bit here. No pressure, Joe. Jack. ESPN names Joe Milton the most important player in college in the college football playoff race. When you saw this and you saw Bill's reasoning, do you agree that Joe Milton is this all-encompassing, mercurial talent that could completely shift the college football playoff race depending on how he plays? I originally, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is just absurd. But then I got to thinking about it. And it really does kind of make a lot of sense because, you know, if, okay, if Tennessee's in the CFP race, that means Joe Milton's had one heck of a season, you know? Mm -hmm. That's just how I look at it. So he's such a boomer bust player in my eyes. I mean, he could just be good. That's for, for sure a possibility. But I feel like if Tennessee's in the CFP race, and this is talking about the CFP race, then Joe Milton's probably one of the biggest players in college football. So for him to be one on this list makes sense to me because if Tennessee's in the CFP race, Joe Milton's been that dude. Um, you know, maybe I wouldn't put him on. Maybe I put an Ohio State quarterback one. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, Tennessee has to beat Bama or Georgia to be in the CFP race. And to do that, Milton's got to be a dog. So I think it makes sense. He would be at least, you know, in the top three or so. What do you think, Ryan? I would agree with that. And uh, you have the element that Tennessee plays Georgia and they play Alabama and Georgia's schedule is so bad that if Tennessee beats them and the way the chips fall, that could be enough to keep Georgia out of the college football playoff. I mean, if Georgia loses to Tennessee, here's the number of good wins they're going to have. Zero. They still might get in with it. But, it, you know, it could, it could – what's that? Ole Miss is a good win. Yeah, it, it, could, it could be. It could be a good win. It could be. Is it on the road? Maybe. Yeah. 
No, okay. it's, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean it's not a good win, but an offense that's kind of predicated on running the ball, good luck going into Athens and being competitive. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense in some ways. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of tend to agree with Jack. There's been so much talk that it's going to be boomer bust for Milton, and I get that. Like, I understand that. I think still the most logical thing is it's going to end up being somewhere in the middle. Or it's going to be a thing, the comparison I think I've made on here before, like Bo Wallace, where he's good – and then a couple games, he's just – it's disastrous. It falls apart for him. So uh, I understand the logic. Um, I'm a little hesitant to think Tennessee's in the range to be – that Joe Milton's going to be good enough to make Tennessee a, a real, real serious college football playoff contender. I also think he could be good and it doesn't matter. Like, good can still be 9-3. and three. Like, Joe could have a yeah. pretty good year. Right, but and, then he's not relevant on this list. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think the idea that people think where it's like, if oh, if Joe lives up to his potential, then Tennessee's play. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think Joe could be live up to the potential, live up to a lot of the hype this year, and Tennessee could still lose several games and not make, not even be a factor really for the CFP. Because I think there's a path where the defense is still bad enough where it doesn't make, uh, doesn't do enough, or the offensive line, which we're seeing, if they take a step back and Joe's getting killed and it's not really his fault and you're seeing Joe play really well, like that might be out of his uh, wheelhouse. And also just the schedule. Like what if he has a duel against uh, Georgia and Alabama and he loses both, but he plays well in both those games. And I mean, you're not sniffing the playoff at that point. So I just, I think there's a path too for Milton to have a good year and it not really affect the playoff race. I don't think he has to be either, if he's awesome, then Tennessee's a playoff team, and if he's bad, then... like I, I think there is well, a, hold a way around that. But if... Okay, you just said that if Milton still plays great and Tennessee loses to Georgia-Bama, which is a possibility, mm. that means Tennessee probably loses close to Alabama and Tuscaloosa, and by the time yeah. Georgia game rolls around, CFP rankings will have already been a thing. So they'll be in the race. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they'll be in it. I think... Well, I should, it's so hard because I'm still at the, you ask, I want to do like a daily poll to see like, do I think Tennessee's going to beat Florida and <laughs> just to get a running tally in my head of where I'm at going into the game. If I had to guess what, uh, daily what I've landed on more, it's definitely Florida wins in that game. And like, it, it scares me. I was listening to uh, my way home, like uh, Will and Tyler on 991, the sports animal and Tyler is just like dead set on Tennessee winning at Florida where he's like just bang, like bang the over with the early line everything else I'm like not a chance I can't do it there's no way I'm even <laughs> I just I'm not even close to being there and I understand like everything about Florida coming in this year but like everything to start this offseason and the hype around all of this and the question marks I still have there's no way that I can be that confident. And then you're looking at like a nine and three potentially. I think my gut tells me the best case scenario for this Tennessee team this year is nine and three. That is my best case scenario for this team is where I'm leaning more days than not. That's the best I can do mentally. I hope that changes. I'm sure week one, I'll just be like playoff. Let's go when they're just bombing uh, Virginia and then Austin P and they outscore them both 135 to seven over two weeks. I'm like, sorry, balls are back. Don't want to hear it. And gonna lose my mind going to the Florida weekend, but as of right now, before games have happened and I've uh, gotten lost in the orange sauce, that's just uh, it's just where I'm at right now. Best case scenario, I mean, nine and three. Yeah, you're pretty yeah. pessimistic if you think truly yeah. best case scenario is nine and three. And I'll say it again: I've said it here before. If Tennessee loses to Florida, they're not going nine and three. That's a that's a ridiculous notion. 
that you think Tennessee going to Florida and then beat everybody else on their schedule, not in Georgia and Alabama. So, so you think eight, eight and four, seven and five is more likely to lose to Florida? Yes, the nine and three. Yeah. So who Definitely do they lose eight to? And four, seven and five is probably similar. You said you said last week there's no way they're losing A and M, so they lose to Kentucky if they lose to Florida, South Carolina. Yeah, I didn't say there's no way. I just said that's that's my stone cold lock of a pick. I mean, obviously, if I'm looking at a lock, I mean, stone cold lock, nothing changes stone cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're I think they're going to win that game because a lot points to it. But sure, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, even like. Missouri is just as good as Florida. And have fun yeah. playing there in mid-November in Columbia when it's just miserably cold and your season's not at a very good spot. You're not competitive anymore. Like, if Florida's lost – UConn, Vanderbilt, those are the games after Florida on the schedule that aren't up in the air. So the UTSA is up in the air if they lose to Florida. Yeah, UTSA's up in the air if they beat Florida. I mean, I think they'll beat UTSA, but it's up in the air. I mean, you could argue UTSA may be like close to being as good as better than Florida. Like Florida. You want to talk about losing goodwill? You want to talk about losing goodwill? Tennessee loses to Florida, this Florida team, and then loses a home game to G five UTSA right after. Like when we talk about like, oh, it could get ugly enough where we're like <laughs> you know this fan base you lose those two games back to back i'm not kidding like i that just that week would be insanity after like i he's out like everyone's just like we're out it was a fun three-year ride he put us in a better place it's time to go for the next guy the final piece uh with a good roster you know that's how it would go where it's like he guided us out of the the darkness <laughs> from the end of the brood era but it's time to move on we've tapped out our potential like if you lose well, those two games he can't lose those two that's brutal can't do it can't nope yeah i, well, mean, I don't think if tennessee loses to florida i don't think i would miss like pick utsa to beat him i just think it's in play Oh, you, Jack. Sorry. No, I think if Florida, like, are you talking about? I mean, yeah, fans will be mad at Josh, but if they lose to Florida and UTSA, I think Joe completely just falls apart in Gainesville, and then against UTSA, he falls apart again in the first half, and it's unsalvageable. Unsalv- yeah, I mean, he's go gone at that point. Like, you can't yeah. do a whole year if you're staring at seven and five. So it might as well just yeah, move just on to and give him, yeah. give him the reps. Like, you yeah. might. Two and two, you're done. Just, I think just as likely as that is Tennessee doesn't stop UTSA for four quarters and Tim Banks is a you know dead man walking the last two months of the season basically. Man. I'm telling you, I cannot wait for these games. Detroit there can are hold at 12. Tennessee can hold in the twenties. What's that, Jack? Said if Troy can hold UTSA to twelve, Tennessee can hold them in the twenties. I don't think it'll be Yeah. I mean yeah. They should. I think Tim Banks has so. done a good a good job overall, but when his unit completely disappeared with Tennessee in the college football playoff race you do that again and lose a game you shouldn't lose. Like that's that's how you get fired, unless yeah. your defense top fifteen in the country, which Tennessee certainly hasn't been. That's not Tim Banks' fault. The talent's not there. That's why again I think he's done a good job. But you lay multiple eggs in two seasons, changes happen. This has been a really negative podcast. We're not. Yeah, we've gotten in the weeds here. We got. We're not getting people excited. <laughs> I'm just I'm terrible like the off of the line stuff the scrimmage results that came out today listening to some hypo quotes or I'm like reading between the lines between coaches speak and you what actually happened here words. Mm. you can't took, do it you took five words and said this Tennessee team can't beat beat Florida in games <laughs> can't do it those five the three paragraphs 
Josh Heupel talked very glowingly about Joe Milton, but then said the four-minute offense, he needs to be better. That means Joe Milton was awful and can't play at this level. That's what I moved on. That's what I read. That's what I read. I'm like, uh uh-oh. You said, oh, Nico's way better than he was in the spring? Well, I think what he said (laughs) that... I, I think the thing about Nico, though, is he's like, he doesn't make the same mistake twice, and he's a fast learner. Like, that tells me, like, clearly he is very happy with where Nico yeah. is. Like, I think that's what I took away from that. It's like, he is very happy about Nico's development. And I think he, he came across, with that line, still a little nervous about Joe in big games. And so that's that's what I took away. That was, that, there, there was a coach's speak there where I'm like, there is something there. Because the Nico stuff was completely glowing. I mean, sure. It was, it was, it was four words, and I think it honestly makes sense that like Joe Milton hasn't started a ton of games in his career. So the stuff mm-hmm. like that, the four minute drill, the four minute offense, two minute drill, like that's gonna be dicey. Like I think that's just fair. We talk about him managing the little things, the little parts of the game in the offense, and I think Heifel has expressed a lot of confidence in his understanding of the offense and their his ability to get them in the right plays and the right tempo and all that good stuff. But that type of stuff. You don't, I mean, they practice it, but it's different when the games are on. And for a guy that's a six year senior and hasn't played a ton of football, that's going to be a learning process. And he's going to have to get better at it as the season goes along. And when you talk about the first two of the first four games of the season, we just talked about are going to be catastrophic if they lose both of them and really bad if they just lose one of them. Like, that's a fair concern, I think. Uh, Jack, to get away from Ryan's pessimism and cynicism, because uh, it's kind of bringing me down a little bit, um, the black uniforms, are they Tennessee's best? Oh, come on. We covered this last week. I said the grays we were didn't say better. Black. In... We were talking about smoky grays last week. I know. Then I said they were better in dark mode, so my answer is no. The black <sighs> jerseys aren't the best. And you gave me crap for like five minutes, so here it comes again. But well, no. This is a two-parter. <laughs> are not the best. All right, pivoting away from Jack again, who's wearing all black and just throwing heat right back at Goodness gracious. Um, but I will say, part two, though, to this, where do, which is the game they wear dark mode for this year, do you think? They were Kentucky last year. Who do you think they wear it for this year? Well, let me look at the schedule. While he's looking, Ryan, do you have one on top of your head that they wear it for? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think the key is it needs to be a night game. Yeah. Um, dark mode is their best alternate. It's, it's not better than any of the orange and white uniforms, though. Um, a and M, I think, has a good chance to be a night game. Looking at the that SEC state tough. that day, so I think uh, A and M would probably be my pick. Yeah, they have more options this year because when they have Alabama and Florida at home, they're wearing orange and they play games on the road, so they have plenty of choices. I'll say, I'll say A and M because I think that can be a night game. Yeah, I'll say A and M's my first option. Can uh, UConn's homecoming? Mm. Maybe, but I'd say A and M first stop. I think they want to save it for a big game. I don't think they want to burn dark red for UConn. I could be wrong. Well, they may wear it twice. They wore it twice last year, right? No, they only wore it twice. Two years ago, they wore it twice. Yeah. Oh, so I guess they could technically. Well, I think they only wore it twice two years ago because they didn't wear the smoky grays, right? I think that was part of it. Right. Um, I don't know. What against SC in Georgia? Yeah. I think it's going to be South Carolina. That's what they wore it at home two years ago. Yeah. I think it's gonna be at, don't wear it at noon for another day game, which that's going to be, and it's disgusting. But <laughs> but would, it would especially look worse now since they have black helmets too. Like it's full dark mode. But would you yeah, be surprised? Player, hard opposition on that. Like, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Be, I wouldn't be surprised. The players would wear them every game if, <laughs> if it's up to them. So 
I just can see the vibe being like we're getting revenge. Like the whole week is like the South Carolina revenge week and they bring out the dark mode. I can already see the social media videos preparing for South Carolina being dark mode and just them coming back from the dead to uh to beat up on the, the Gamecocks. My gut hate, says South Carolina at home. I hate the revenge narrative. If if Tennessee's, you know, concerned about that at all, then they need to change the way their way of thinking because they they should not concern about a South Carolina game at home at the end of September. Not right now, but like game week, if you're looking for extra stuff, I don't think there's any problem with propping yeah. propping that up. I guess would be the way to phrase. It. Um, 1998 to 2003, the similarities are endless. 2023, Ryan, not 2023. What did I say? 2003. Oh, oof, definitely not 2003. Um, who would that have been? Would that have been Rick Clawson? Would that have been Casey still? No, I think that was been? Casey's senior year. And he got hurt and uh, not Tim Banks. There was a Banks that was a receiver. He played quarterback for a couple games. Mm. Not Brad I can't Banks. I think of his name. No. James? Eh, I don't think it was James Banks. I don't know. That was the year. That was the no, you're right. James Banks. That was the played at Tennessee 0204. Okay, so it was James. CJ Leak, Chris Leak's brother, mm. was the backup and got benched, and Chris Leak was coming to Tennessee, and then the Leak family got very mad about that, and he flipped to Florida. I believe that's how the story goes, which, I mean, granted, they did move a receiver to start a quarterback, so not exactly a ringing endorsement of uh, CJ there. Hmm. Um, however, the tweet reads, Ryan, and I want to get your uh... – your take on this because yeah. last year it felt like 98 the similarities here both teams preseason coaches pulled number 10 both 11 2 the previous year both teams played the orange bowl the year before both teams lost heisman caliber quarterbacks to draft but had uh, a backup taking a starting role the script with a keep quiet emoji feel like 98 to you ryan no, Al Wilson and Terry Barry ain't walking through that door. Play on Tennessee's defense. Does he have the best one of the best defenses in the country in '98? There are yeah. those similarities, and I think that Milton, the T. Martin one, is particularly accurate because they've waited their time and you know thought they were going to be a starter at an early part in their career, and they weren't. So some of those similarities are like good conclusions, but the emphasis of like Tennessee's going to win a national championship because of those similarities or win the SEC. It's it's kind of nonsense. It's the blue chip ratio for me. Like they're not there. They'll be there next year. They'll be in the ratio. This year they still will not be. I don't know. Is that how you feel, Jack, as well, or no? Yeah, I feel the same as Ryan. Um, I mean, it's fun. Like I, I love this type of stuff. I'm all about finding these types of trends and similarities. But and it, there's a great article on RockyTopInsider.com by Rick Butler too about it. Um, but yeah, like it's not going to happen. It's probably, it's all just a coincidence, but it is fun to talk about. Yeah. I think it'll be there. I think offensively, like, uh, to Ryan's point, I think there is a lot of similarities there in terms of Joe and kind of the question marks about T coming into the year. Like they, he was not a sure thing. And a lot of Tennessee fans were like, they're the sure thing. You knew exactly what you were getting in Peyton and Hendon. And I think they were kind of operating the same way. They kind of had that same mindset where they were just kind of study warriors just super leaders um just cerebral in a lot of ways like i think there were a lot of similarities between peyton and hendon 
Um, and then I think Joe and T have those similarities, but I think it's the the town on defense. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think that's gonna hold them back. And that was like one of the differences last year when people were like feeling like ninety eight. I'm like mm, maybe the run defense, but uh, the secondary is not quite there yet uh, to do that kind of LSU type run from uh, the Joe Burrow era. But uh, last thing on Tennessee football here as we continue our positional preview series. Jack, what uh, what do you make of this year's defensive line depth? Are you excited? Who are you most excited about? Uh, do you think it's going to be better than a year ago? Do you see sacks being up? Who are who are you most excited about? And right now, if you had to guess on August tenth, who leads this team in sacks? Who would you who would you guess? Oh, I'm taking Josh Josephs to lead the team in sacks. Been mm. high on him all off season. Um, I think he's the most likely to be as dominant as Byron Young was for Tennessee last season. I think mm. Tyler Barron will take a step. Um, don't know how big of a step he can take, but I think he'll be really solid, and I think Roman Harrison's underrated too. When you talk about the interior, the depth is good. It's not great. Um, if Elijah Simmons has another injury-riddled season, it won't be that great, but he looks good in camp right now from what I've seen, and you know he has a lot of potential. I was impressed with Omar Norman Lott back in spring camp when I watched him. Of course, I haven't seen a lot of him in fall camp. Um, and then What number Bryce- is he? 55 50 yeah 55 okay that's why i can never identify him like i've never in any video or anything i've seen i'm like where is omar norman lot i've never seen him i feel like i should see him at some point i never see his name anywhere 55 Uh, i'm just i'm the same way he was working inside one day at practice this week and it was like him and i think wesley walker a couple guys who had been working inside earlier in the week i was like all right 55 who's that oh omar norman lot (laughs) then even yeah okay yeah i'm gonna be looking for 90 something for him he looks good (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's the guy yeah. everybody's been talking up all, all summer and in, in the fall. Yeah, he's the mystery man. Uh, it's going to take me four weeks to figure out who 55 is on the field. Like, he's going to make plays. I'm like, who the hell is 55? And why is he in the backfield again? And it's going to be over a Norman lot. He's going to start, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, again, all four, they'll play four guys a ton. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I would say, yeah, like, I think he, him and Amari Thomas right now, if you made me rank the demons tackles I feel best about for Tennessee, it's Amari Thomas one and Omar Norman Lot two. Yeah. Do you think Norman Lott will start over Eason? Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean that'd be my guess, but again, I think the reps will probably be pretty similar. Yeah. Gotcha. I wonder too, like so Josh Joseph looks great. James Pierce, when I watch these videos and I love the Rodney Gar football pull. Uh, when they're doing the circle drill, love it. Live for it. It's what a, it's it's one of my favorite things in the rock. Also, where's the music on Rocky Top Insider videos? Like, I, part of the practice videos for me is the, uh, I I watch it for that. I, I need the pump up music to. It's the same one. And it speeds up as it goes along. Um, it's all I'm all about it because there's no talking, no anything. I I I need it. Um, as I'm getting pumped up during my lunch break. Um, but I look at it and I'm like, oh, James Pierce, I think looks the most physically gifted behind Kale pairing. Like, I don't want to just put some outrageous expectations on guys. Kale pairing, um, very excited about Kale pairing. Like, I think he's probably like starting edge guy next year. Like he is already so ahead of the curve and just he's, cause I think I was just somebody talk about defensive linemen. It's like part of edge guys. It's just, there is teaching, but it's just overpowering dudes. Like if you are super fast, you have your extra twitchy. A lot of it's just like, it's some natural feel and size and strength. And I just feel like Kale pairing is just going to be a natural, really, really good edge guy. Who's going to be on the field soon. Like if I had to rank 
terms of upside over the next three, two to three years, I think it's right now Caleb Herring one, two James Pierce, three Chindavian, four um, Joshua Josephs. Now, do I think Joshua Josephs will be that low in terms of actual production? No. But I just think when people talk about Josephs, I'm like, I don't know. When I watch him, he just, maybe he's solid. He just gives me a lot more of a Tyler Barron type vibe to me than a high upside big double-digit sack guy in the SEC. Maybe that's just me, but I just see it more from James Pierce. If anyone leads this team in sacks and it kind of makes the jump, I think it's Pierce from what I can see. Because I, I think it's going to be hard for Caleb Perry oh, to I do too much as a freshman. I, completely I don't think Pierce will get the reps. Year, he'll, he'll get way snaps. ahead. He's way ahead of Pierce right now. He's gonna get do you think so? Like a lot more, I think he's going to get a lot more snaps than Pierce. Hmm. A lot. I do agree about Caleb Herring. Whatever Caleb Herring live with Josh Josephs all offseason and they can do every single thing Josh Josephs did to add weight and strength last year to Caleb Herring and Caleb Herring will be an all SEC yeah. guy in, by his junior year. Uh, I'm with you there. I'm not with you on James Pierce being more likely to be at leading Tennessee in sacks, eight, nine, ten sack guy than Josh Josephs is this year. I'd be stunned. I wouldn't be stunned. He just has the I size don't know, to me. Is Pierce even yeah. going to pl- play like that much? He better. I, mean, I hope so. I think he will. Roman Harrison's definitely ahead of him. I think Josh Joseph's definitely ahead of him. I think he's pretty even with Caleb Herring probably right now. I mean, he'll maybe injuries happen and he gets more opportunities. But again, I think you're right. The ceiling's high, but this season I don't. I don't see it. What did you say, Jack? What was that? I think Tyree what Tyree West is ahead of him. Well, he, Tyree West is working at D, strong side D end. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Opposite I think size. he's probably in a pretty similar spot to Pierce's at strong side D, D end is like the third third guy there. Who's the Barrett third guy and, there? Uh, Dominique Bailey. Yeah. Oh, that's right, Bailey. I forget about him a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Dominique Bailey and Bryce Neeson, I feel like, are very similar in the fact that they're just like super steady guys, solid against the run. Like, I just don't see the next level. You know, them making a real jump and being like a real good pass rusher, or just super big difference maker. Is like he I from? Jump for a lot of guys in that room, I don't really see it for either of them. Is Bailey a Memphis guy? No, he's a Maryland guy. Okay. Yeah. Him and uh, okay. what was the linebacker who was there for like a year and then transferred? Uh, they were part of that big Pruitt class when Pruitt was just shooting at a remarkable rate. No. The next class, Pruitt's class that fell apart when he got fired. It was the COVID class. Aaron Willis, that's his name. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about Aaron Willis. Francis. I think Dominic Bailey is like one of four dudes from that recruiting class and still at Tennessee. So, that's kudos wild. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Um, Quickly here, Vols basketball. Um, Ryan, you were a sicko over the last week watching uh, yeah. Vols in Italy. What was your strongest takeaway? based on what you saw from this Vols team in Italy? Uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to to glean these takeaways from games that they won by like an average of 38 points. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that stuck with me was Jordan Ganey in the sense that I think he's going to battle to be a rotational guy this year. I don't hit all of a sudden you go, you go from all the conversation to me about rotation being wing and post. And there's still questions there, and Chris Ledlam leaving is a big part of the wing being less of a question. But Jordan Ganey looked really good, and he his shooting ability, which we knew was solid, again, that's the one I pumped the brakes on. What I really liked was how Dalton Connect and Jordan Ganey 
kept shooting with confidence when they went through cold stretches. That's really easy to do playing European style with more possessions and games in summer where no one's at and you're killing teams. But the fact that what really stood out to me with Ganey is I thought he created a little bit better offensively and particularly defense. I mean, he's night and day better than Freddie DeLeon right now defensively. And certainly Freddie DeLeon's ceiling is a lot higher. I think his offensive ability is he's probably the most talented offense player in Tennessee's team. And for that reason, I think it's probably likely that Ganey is the guy that gets left out from the rotation. But if DeLeon doesn't live up to that or Ziegler is slow when he gets back from injury, Ganey's going to be pushing, and it's, he's not just going to be an afterthought this season, like I think, you know, was kind of my thought uh, when he signed with Tennessee. I don't know, Jack. I feel like if Ganey is pushing for timer, Ganey's playing 10 to 15 minutes a night, especially in SEC play. The season's gone off the rails. Well, I mean, if he's a great defender, then what do you expect? It's the Rick Barnes way. I do mean, you think he's going to be a great defender? Ryan saying he's light years ahead of Freddie DeLeon defensively yeah, that tells me he's that great. he's going to compete Freddie just Dillion's... off of that. Brady Dillion's a little ole ole at times. Guys just <laughs> white guys just going past him at a rate that's concerning. But again, it's months <laughs> away from the season. I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll get that figured out. All right, that out. With your general thought, Chase, it, it, it's probably not ideal for Tennessee if Ganey's playing ten to fifteen minutes a night. The off the rails comment is very over dramatic. I'm never over dramatic on this podcast. Yeah, that doesn't sound like you. You didn't. You three definitely years, never ever dramatic. Five words Josh Heifel said today, and <laughs> talked about that, and then immediately said in a like in the next message, "No way Tennessee beats Florida." <laughs> Let me find a direct quote because it wasn't that, but it was very much. Yeah, the, the listeners need to hear. Similar. Never quote. been more certain they're losing <laughs> at Florida. <laughs> that was the comment. I read it and I was like, "I'm checked out." I'm out again. Like, Hypel can't be playing with my emotions like this. Can't do it. Seems like for Hype to say this, this tells me Joe is rough today. I try to talk you off the ledge, perhaps, but it strikes me as something to jot down just in case. Never been more certain they're losing at Florida, though. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't think... But the people behind the scenes. Wow. The hype Don't go to the Tennessee baseball. Uh, portion of our DMs. The, stay stay away from the the Cal Stark era. <laughs> the people the do, Stark, do not Christian need Scudder. to hear what Chase was saying after Tennessee started the season 0 and 2 and lost to Grand Canyon. Oh, oh my God! Hey, Grand Canyon was a good ball team. Were they? Good. Did you see them in Omaha? No, but they were see Arizona good. and Omaha. They had a top ten pick. They had a top ten pick. Great. Tennessee sure had stuff. a bunch. Tennessee's putting more it dudes won. in the Major League Baseball than anyone else in the last two years. Don't know if that's true. Just gonna say it. <laughs> a lot of big j journalism going on tonight on the yeah. Chase thomas podcast i love how when chase laughs don't fact check us the when he laughs his head do. just completely disappears <laughs> I just I waited for Ryan to take a sip of water when I unleashed that one. I was hoping Ryan would spit it across the table. I had I'm gonna mean myself much like Eric Kane did this week. Luckily, the water was already was already down by the time uh, by the time I processed what you said. At least, <laughs> wait, what happened? <laughs> well, Eric Kane on uh, the Lockdown Balls podcast said something like, "Oh, Joe Milton out there in shorts, I, uh, yeah, balls yeah, are yeah. looking great." Yeah, I saw that. Out. Yeah. And 
And Danny I, White tweeted it out. Yeah, the <laughs> Danny White troll. <laughs> yeah. The real Danny White account. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of Danny White's keeping up with all the different Vols podcasts just to be like, mm, what is the temperature in the room right now? There's a joke I can make that I'm going to make off air about uh, that. But um, I don't know. We'll see what happens uh, with them. Uh, final thing here as we wrap up, Jack. Case for and against starting Tobey walkout. At this point, with Ledham gone and with the, how this roster looks to this point, do you think they should go big to start things off with Tobey? And uh, Jonas, I do, to start the year. I do don't think that's their best lineup, but I think that's what'll end up happening with Jonas or with Tobey at the four and Jonas at the, actually I don't know. I I, I think Jamai starts no matter what, and I think Santi and Freddie start to open the season. So does that mean Tobey gets the four and Jonas gets the five? That means Josiah's on the bench. It's hard for me to say. But the case for starting Toby Awaka is that he's the best at getting rebounds on the team. He's a freak of nature. I mean, all the dude has done throughout the offseason is just look awesome every single stop. So, I mean, I think, I think he has the most upside of anybody of all the post players at Tennessee. So I think he allows you to maximize your potential if he's on the court at all times. And, you know, hopefully for Tennessee's sake, he's shored up a couple of uh, other parts of his game. Do you think that's what happened, Ryan? Or do you think we could actually see Tobey being big enough and someone Barnes trusts enough to start at the five? And have yeah, I mean, that's, the the best, that's the best case is him starting right. Five. He's gonna have, he's gonna have to play minutes. Tobey at the five. Yeah, yeah. Mm. he's gonna have to play minutes at the five. Like that's just a reality. So, in my opinion, this is why I think it was a good thing Olivia Campbell left. Like throw these dudes in the fire. He's gonna have to play the five. He's gonna have mm. to play serious minutes at the five for you this season. So lean into it immediately. And again, that's kind of where it's hard to draw conclu- conclusions from the year. Italy trip. They were kind of platoon substituting, but they didn't play Jonas and, and Tobey walking much together. I mean, hmm. maybe five minutes over the course of three games. It didn't happen much. So to me, that was a positive sign. Again, they were platoon substituting. So I don't know how much I can really draw conclusions from that. But the case, the case for it is that he's the Tennessee's best offensive big, and he's a beast on the boards. And all of a sudden, if you want to play four guards or Josiah starting at the four and shoot a lot of threes and have Tobey Waka just a freaking tr- garbage man down low, that you're going to score some points. That's your best lineup. Case against it is he's not as good defensively as Jonas would do. I think, to me, that's still my biggest question mark about him is understanding his defensive assignment. Um, obviously, he's not going to bring the rim protection that a dude does. That's just a reality. But can he be in the right place consistently? Can he be in good enough shape? to be playing hard, super hard. And, the you know, he plays super hard when he's out there. Is he in good enough shape that he can do that for five minutes at a time? That's kind of the case against it. Um, and especially if he's going to be the five and you're going to play someone, you know, Josiah at the four, your defensive lineup there is going to take a step back. So that's the case against it. And probably, you know, if you're making an argument for that, why that's not going to be the case you know, and why Barnes isn't going to stray away from defense, that's probably it. I... I'm fascinated because I think this is going to be the most up in the air lineup we've had at Tennessee for a while. Like, I think you can make a case for a lot of different lineups. And that's, a, that's why the series would be fun with Tobey, with Meshack, with Connect, with DeLeon. Like, Barnes is going to make some tough, tough decisions. Um, doesn't mean you have to stick with him, whatever he picks this offseason. But I think it's going to be a very, very interesting um, season for Tennessee in a multitude of ways um well there you go Jack Foster what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Omaha Productions and always college football this week yeah so yesterday 
put out a big interview with Colin Cowherd. That was a lot of fun. Um, Colin had a lot of interesting things to say, as he always does. About 30 minutes, he and Greg talking. So, you know, that's a good one to check out tomorrow. There's some Tennessee talk on the pod. Greg gives MVPs and breakout stars for 10 teams, and Tennessee is one of them. And, um, yeah, we're just going to keep the college football content coming. Uh, hopefully less and less realignment talk as we move forward because trying to talk ball, man, like we said, 15 days away from the season. Nah, give me that Cal to Stanford and Cal and Stanford to ACC talk. Yeah. That's what I'm, that, that is it's my drive time talk. On That's so what many I want. Levels. If that happens, then. Well, no, I wanted the Pac-12 and the ACC to merge. Like I wanted to save Why? college 12 for the next 15 years where you get the big 12 pack ACC and the power two. And then we could have at least had the power four for the next 10 to 15 years. That's what I would have hoped. Okay, pl- place your bets. Just quick answer. What happens to the back four? I think they Mount all West end up in the Or I think Stanford and Cal goes independent, and then I think maybe even drop down, and then I think Oregon State and Washington State goes to the Mountain West. My realignment thought, two realignment thoughts. First, Rick Tino, great tweet this week. Shout out Slick Rick. Let's make football conferences and let's make conferences for everything else. This nonsense that we're doing all for money. Let's not hold everybody, every other sport hostage to it. Second thought, don't get me wrong. I think it's sad what happened to Pac-12. I have a great deal of sympathy and empathy for Oregon State and Washington State. I feel absolutely no pity, not a a teeny bit of pity for Cal and Stanford. Those those athletic departments – wanted to treat sports like they mattered even just a tiny bit. They wanted to put a minuscule effort into caring about athletics over the 15 years. They wouldn't have gotten left behind. But those those schools said this does not matter. Sports don't matter. They did not treat. They did not act like they were Power 5 football programs and athletic programs. So don't sit here and make me feel sorry for these snobby intellectual elites on the West Coast now that they got (laughs) left behind when they don't care. So enough, enough of the pity. I got almost threw up listening to Notre Dame Notre Dame athletic director's quote yesterday. It made me made me sick to my stomach. Oh my god! Late night <laughs> Ryan is an animal. I don't think I actually told anybody that take yet either. So it's, it's really been bubbling up over the last few days as I've seen the sob story for two athletic departments that care, two universities that care zero zilch about their athletic department. Only good thing that's come out of those athletic departments in the last ten years is Nico Horner. Wow, he's not wrong at all. I mean, he, that's, that's just facts. They don't and care. The Stanford one is even worse because, like, they Jalen Brown so came out of Cal. Jalen Brown was at Cal less than ten years ago. When was Johnny? Hey, Davis Davis Cal zero NCAA tournament game. Hey, 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 Ryan, hold up. Let's not forget you said Davis Mills was better than Trevor Lawrence, so he came from Stanford. <laughs> Let's not yeah, forget. I mean, that. Trevor Lawrence still the most overrated player in the NFL. That's um, insane. That's just preposterous. It's just <laughs> so it's, it's factual. He's he's mentioned like he's Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. Oh I have all no, the, he's not. That's not records. true. No, it is true. He, uh, no, he's not Colin said it in that podcast. Said it last year. He said it last year. He's a top Wait, five quarterback. He's the fifth best quarterback in call, in Thank the NFL you. right now. But he's, he's not. Five. No one says nonsense, he's the, he's nonsense. in the same tier as Mahomes. No one says that's, that. Yeah. No, it's literally Colin Coward. I have the tweet. I have the tweet. Maybe not the same team. Well, he Mahomes, is a huge but it was Lawrence. Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence. Get used to it every year. Laughable take. I will march down Broadway with Trevor Lawrence's head on a stick okay. when the Titans win. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wow. Trevor Lawrence is closer to Patrick Mahomes than Davis Mills, though. For sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that. 
the Davis Mills take was largely uh, trying to be entertaining. And it was an yeah, awesome it I was know. an awesome hill to die on for like until like week seven of the football season this past year. <laughs> and it also worked that nobody else in that draft class was any good at quarterback. I guess we'll see about Justin Fields. But uh he didn't particularly he's look still, great. Now he's, he's a year like, younger. Is No No, he, he is, is the same. same. He is the same. Yeah, yeah. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Zach Mac Wilson. Jones. Yeah. Mac yeah. Jones, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance. Whew. Yikes. Whew. Yeah, Davis Mills is still okay. probably better than those three. <laughs> He's still in the middle of that draft class, I think. He's certainly think not Mac as good as better than Mills. What's that? I think Mac is better than Mills. Yeah, he probably is. But it's I could, I could, you know, but be Mac, naive and debate it. But just, I'll leave it at this. Chase, thank you. Trevor Lawrence is a top five quarterback. Yeah, he's the fifth best quarterback in Ryan NFL. Is clearly wrong. Thank you. Yeah. Like he's that's, winning the NFC South for like the next eight years in a row. Like thank it's you. it's on lock. He came this back from twenty eight nothing we'll against see. the Jaguars we'll or against the Chargers. We will at home. see. No. We'll see his... when he went when he went a full game in a row of must win football games when he scored zero points and all we do is praise him. He couldn't get a freaking point against the Titans in the second half, and Josh Dobbs threw the game away. Couldn't get a first down against the Titans defense, but I, I need you to let's crown him. Let's all crown him. Let's all. I'm going to crown him Timothy Lawrence. Four touchdowns in a and a half to come back from 27 zilch. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was down 27 zilch because he threw four, three or four interceptions in the first half. You know, Tom Brady is the only quarterback I've ever heard that could get, a, get be lucky enough to get away with that and win a playoff. I think game. that's a good but company to be in, though. Lucky. It is a good company lucky. to be in. Uh, I mean, he threw. Ryan, you're gonna hate the next player. seven years of the NFC, of the AFC South because <laughs> it's over. Like the Jaguars have it on lock. It, it's not like well, yeah, the, tit- the division's really the division's really bad. So I do think they will will win most will win most years. But I don't I don't buy into this thought that they're going to be perennial contenders. Whatever. Maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars will become winners. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll do it. Maybe Trevor Lawrence they, will do it. They got a hell of a coach. They got the coach and the quarterback. Man, that's all you need. It's 2023. Come on. Yeah, Calvin Ridley is going to be awesome. See. It's going to bother me because I could really use Calvin Ridley on my football team right now. It would be nice for Calvin Ridley to not play for the Jaguars and actually play for the Falcons. No Drake London love? I love Drake London, but uh, Calvin Ridley was a, an important cog to this team and did not play football last year. For And and we needed Drake or uh, Calvin Ridley to play football last year. And Calvin Ridley um, did not get anything really for losing Calvin Ridley. And, you know... They're a little thin. Scotty Miller's going to be playing important snaps for the Falcons <laughs> at wideout. You know who I'd rather have in that spot? I'd rather have Calvin Ridley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Glad he's doing better, but uh, just kind of a bummer that Calvin Ridley is just not playing for my football team for nothing anymore. Um, Ryan Shepard, what can the good folks check out for you and the team over at Insider.com this week? Yeah, plenty of football coverage. Uh, you, you plugged it for me earlier. Takeaways on the basketball, uh, the basketball trip to Italy. So I had that. If you're a psycho and are caring about basketball a lot, two weeks away from football season, uh, and yeah, we've had tons of content, tons of stuff from the scrimmage today. I had my four takeaways uh, on what Heifel said. So check that out, and uh, we'll have plenty of stuff as fall camp keep, keeps rolling on. There you go, Jack Foster, Ryan Shempert, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.